Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're doing well. And um, we are in the midst of moving to our new home and new diocese. And as soon as we get there, I will do the first program announcing to you where we are. This is very, very exciting. We ask you to pray for our move and uh, all that needs to take place uh, on that end. And uh, we don't have an exact address yet, so we won't... um, uh, we can't give that out, but I will tell you that it's the Diocese of Salina, Kansas, and we are absolutely thrilled, um, and um, uh, we'll tell you more as as we get there, but we'll be riding there today, so we're just... Uh, we're just thankful to God after four years that He has uh, given us a new home and an extremely holy, humble, wonderful Bishop Gerald Vinke. So, um, let me, we're four days away from Christmas. Isn't that incredible? From Christmas Eve, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Christmas Eve. It's just, am I right about that? Let me see. I have to figure that one out. Um, Yes, yes, the 24th. So, three days. Today, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then the 24th is Christmas, sorry, 24th is Christmas Eve, and the 25th is Christmas. I'm, I can't, I can hardly believe how fast that came upon us. Um, so we're going to continue. It's still Advent. And I want to tell you, beloved, throughout my life, there are so many things, and I know I'm not alone, uh, so many things that I wanted to do, intentions, things I didn't do, either I failed to do or ran out of time or didn't plan well or things came in the way that I couldn't avoid, whatever it was. So many times, if I could only, if we could only live in hindsight and go back and start over and do it the way we we want, but don't ever regret hindsight. Don't ever regret God giving us uh, insight into our failings of any kind. Um, or our lack of any kind, because that's his grace. And he doesn't give us that hindsight to live in regret or to go back in time. We can't go back in time, but he gives it to us now to be able to see for today and tomorrow in the future. So we live more circumspectly and we walk with God more closely. And so I want to say to you that if you have not really had a good and holy advent, if you've been busy with decorations and gifts and work and family and tons of sickness and tons of other things, don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you down. This is Christmas week, the week of pre-Christmas, and our Lord is coming in four days. And we can spend these four days adoring him, praying to him, doing as much as we can. If you haven't had an Advent wreath and lit it, It's not too late. It's never too late to do something for God. It's never too late, beloved. Don't let anybody tell you that you failed or that if you haven't done it by now, forget it. Don't forget it. Go out and get a wreath, put it on your table, and now you'll light the four candles and you could get prayers on the internet 
for each Sunday of Advent. Um, whatever you wish, but don't be discouraged. God loves you. He is with you, and he will help you. Um, many of you have the set conversation with God, and um, we have had it for a long time. I've never read it, and I thought I'd pick it up for us uh, to read during Advent. And um, I'm just going to start from the first Sunday of Advent um, in expectation of our Lord, um, even though we're now in the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. So, keeping watch in the period before the coming of Messiah, and um, it reads this, Almighty God, grant us the will to greet our Savior with our good works when he comes, so that we may be worthy to be on his right hand and possess the kingdom of heaven. Everybody knows, even those of us who have lived most unadventurously, unadventurously, says Ronald Knox in a sermon on Advent, everyone knows what it is to plod on for miles, it seems, eagerly straining your eyes toward the lights that somehow mean home. How difficult it is when you are doing that to judge distances. In pitch darkness, it might be a couple of miles to your destination. It might be a few hundred yards. So was, I think, with, so it was, I think, with the Hebrew prophets as they looked forward to the redemption of their people. They could not have told you within a hundred years, within five hundred years, when it was the deliverance would come. They only knew that sometime the stock of David would burgeon anew. Sometime a key would be found to fit the door of their prison house. Sometime the light that only showed now, like a will of the whips on the horizon, would broaden out at last into the perfect day. Oh, I wish I could read this whole thing to you because we're now in the middle of the O antiphons. But I want to give you this as a background that we haven't read, and we can continue reading it through Christmas. This attitude of expectation is one which the church wants to encourage us in, her children permanently, wants to encourage in us, her children, permanently. She sees it as an essential part of our Christmas drill that we should still be looking forward, getting on for 2,000 years now since the first Christmas Day came and went, and we must still be looking forward. So she encourages us during Advent to take the shepherd folk for our guides and imagine ourselves traveling with them in dead of night, straining our eyes toward the chink of light which streams uh, out, which streams out, we know, from the cave at Bethlehem. When the Messiah came, few really were expecting him. He came unto his own, his own received him not, wrote St. John. Most men of that time had been blind to what was most essential in their lives and in the life of the world. And I would say that's the case today. Most men are blind to that which is most essential in their lives. Watch, therefore. Our Lord tells us in today's gospel, wake from sleep. St. Paul echoes, for we too um, can forget what is most fundamental in our existence, what our life here on earth is about. Summon the nations, um, 
uh, quoting, um, oh, now let's see. You know what? I won't stop to see where all the quotes come. This is from the Divine Office Responsorial, Responsorial Psalm. I'll just quote these things to you and, and read right through this. Um, <clears throat> Some in the nations say to the people, See, our God and Savior is coming. Tell it, proclaim it, cry aloud. The Church reminds us of this with a four-week period of preparation so that we can get ourselves ready to celebrate Christmas once more, and at the same time, so that with the first coming, um, with the first coming to the world, God made man, um, I'm sorry, at the same time, so that with the first coming to the world of God made man, we may be heedful of those other advents those other comings of God, first when we die, then again at the end of time. The holy season is thus a time of preparation and of hope. Come, O Lord, and do not delay. Let us make straight his paths. The Lord is soon to arrive. If we are aware that our sight is clouded and that we don't see clearly the radiance emanating from Bethlehem, from the infant Jesus, it is time to rid ourselves of whatever impairs our vision. Now is the time for a specially good examination of conscience and for a thorough interior purification which will befit us to receive and to welcome that expected guest who is God. It is the moment to take note of the things that separate us from him, to loosen their hold and cast them from us, Our examination then must penetrate to the very roots of our actions and scrutinize deep down in our hearts the motives which inspire our actions. Um, Dear ones, uh, I want to say at the end of every sentence of this reflection on Advent, it's never too late. It is never too late. It is never too late for you to practice this. You say, but but I could have started on November 29th or November 15th. I could have had done this all during Advent. Yes, you could have. It's me too. But we haven't. So we do it now. We do it now. God will be happy with our doing it a few days, then just giving up. We haven't done it. We'll forget it. No, no, no. Don't be a perfectionist. God would have us to love him for two hours rather than not at all. So don't you worry Um, Don't let the enemy get you discouraged for the things you have failed to do or not done for whatever reason. Don't worry about it. Whether it was your fault or not, don't even analyze that. Just now, just turn to God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for all these things. Help me now to worship you and adore you with my whole heart and truly practice um, uh, penance and um, forgiveness and Prepare for your coming. Um, There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll be right back after the break to continue with this reflection, and we'll take your emails after the second, uh, 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 second, second break. Okay, God bless you. We'll be right back.
Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. This is Rick Paolini and Father Jacek Mazur. Join us every Sunday morning. We'll be delving into the diary of St. Maria Faustina and discussing the topics important in your life. Whether you're wrestling with willpower or praying for patience, God uses the diary to speak to your struggles. So tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu ufam tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. Hi, this is Terry Barber from The Terry and Jesse Show. We bring you the gospel with clarity and charity. If you have any questions about the faith or what is happening in the church, be sure to tune in at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific. You can call us during the show, 888-526-2151. The Terry and Jesse Show, weekdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network and heard around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, dear ones, uh, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, and uh, as I mentioned last week, um, this is a pre-record. And because we are moving to the Diocese of Salina, Kansas, and uh, we're, we've pre-recorded programs for the entire week. They're brand new. We're answering your emails everyone sent in. Um, and so they are absolutely brand new, and they're all made for you. They're, none of them is going to be an encore. They're just pre-recorded for you. So, And then uh, the following week, we will be back with you live from Salina, Kansas. This is so, so exciting. I'm so grateful to our God. Let me continue on preparation for Advent. And again, um, this is Monday the 21st. And so we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is Christmas Eve, and Friday is Christmas Beloved. And we're going to pre-record those programs for you as well. And so um, follow us along. And as I said in the first um, portion of the program. Don't worry about what you haven't done, what you failed to do. You know, um, the saints have said uh, every day is the beginning, the beginning of forever. Every single day, St. Francis de Sales is famous for saying every single day we begin anew. Don't, if, if the past, if your failures get you down or depress you or discourage you or make you weak, that is of the devil. God would never, ever do that. God would only say the only true failure is not what you've done, uh, not what you failed to do, but refusing to get up 
and try again. That's the only failure is to give up. That is it. So today you have your uh, incredible, magnificent gift of grace to not give up and do these things in whatever way you can between now and Christmas. And God will reward you. He will bless you. Um, And so here are the enemies now. We're going to read the enemy, the principal enemies of our sanctity. Our sanctity means we are being made holy. We are being more and more set apart from the world to God. And there are enemies. Uh, If you have kind of slacking off all this time, or whatever the words, the proper description would be, uh, the enemy's not in your camp. He doesn't, he's very happy with that. But you decide to live for God and put everything aside, including your unorganized house, and set aside at least an hour a day to worship him, the devil will be in your camp and will be trying to destroy your new efforts to make you discouraged. Anytime you feel discouraged, Just know it's not of God. And if it's not of God, it's of the devil, and you need to just crush it. Don't pay no attention. The book we're reading, Conversations with God, says this. As we really do want, not vaguely but seriously, to draw and be drawn closer to God at this time, let us look down into our souls in depth There we will find the real enemies that sustain their unremitting warfare to keep us away from him. There, in one form or another, are the main obstacles that obstruct and hinder the growth of our Christian life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three concupiscences, which that tendency to sin, which Adam and Eve won for us in the garden with the fall. The lust of the flesh is not confined only to the disordered tendencies of the senses in general or to the disorder of sensuality in particular. It also refers to that love of comfort, to that reluctance to stir ourselves or even to be alert, which drives us to seek that which is least uncomfortable, what is most pleasurable, The path offered to us, hold on, the path offered to us that seems the shorter and less arduous, even at the cost of our failing in faithfulness to God. The other enemy, let me just get this for you, hold on, I want to get that light out of the way, but I can't do that, here it is. The other enemy... Um, is lust of the eyes, a deep-seated greed that sees nothing of value in what we cannot, um, in what cannot be laid hands on. I'm going to repeat that. The other enemies is lust of the eyes, a deep-seated greed that sees nothing of value in what cannot be laid hands on. The eyes of the soul are dulled, Reason thinks itself to be self-sufficient, dispensing with God as unnecessary. It is a subtle temptation, supported by the dignity of the very intelligence our Father God has given, has given us that we may know and love him freely. Seduced by this temptation, the human intelligence regards itself as the center of the universe, reverting with delight to the words of the serpent in Genesis, you shall be like gods. 
and being filled with love of self turns its back on God's love. And my my thought, dear ones, on the um, uh, the garden with Adam and Eve, what was the sin? Was the sin that they ate from the fruit of the tree? Of course. Uh, why was it a sin? Because uh, God told them not to. But why did they die? God say, in the day you ate from that tree, eat from the tree, you shall die. Well, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Immediately, they were, um, uh, they, they removed themselves from God. The grace of God was no longer in them. They died spiritually. Is it because they ate of the tree? It is. But why did they ate? Why was it because of that? Because the apple had some poison in it? Absolutely not. It was because when they ate that apple, um, the uh, they turned their back on God. They said they believed the Satan's lie. They believed the lie of the serpent. God doesn't want you to be like him. Don't eat from the tree. Come on, God's holding out on you. What's the problem? He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want competition. You can eat from that tree and you'll be like God. And they did. They bought the lie. And when they bought the lie, they turned from God and they said. We want to do it our way. I've often said that Frank Sinatra did not write the words to I'll do it my way. He only, only the music was written for those words. That's straight from the Garden of Eden. Eden. I'll do it my way. Um, Adam and Eve were the first to say those words. And it plunged them and the whole world coming from them into the darkness and misery and loneliness of sin. Um. <clears throat> Our existence can, in this way, hold on now, those are the words of the serpent, and being filled with self-love turned its back on God's love, and that's what Adam and Eve were. They wanted what God wanted to give them. I would say, what's wrong with what what the serpent did? What's wrong with saying you'll be like God? Uh, what's 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 wrong? Actually, the Satan, sp- Satan, the serpent spoke the truth. They would be like God. God has made us in His image. He's made us that we should awaken His likeness. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. Every moment we live and walk with Him. What's wrong with that message? What's wrong with that message is that Adam and Eve wanted to be like God without God. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted a shortcut. It's exactly what the temptation of Satan was in the wilderness with our Lord. Everything, turn these stones into bread, uh, jump off the pinnacle and prove you're the Messiah, do a trick. Everything that Satan tempted our Lord to do, and he was tempted because he was 100% man and 100% God. He was truly man, truly human, and truly tempted, but he wouldn't give in temptation, and he never did. The writer of the Hebrews says God was tempted in all points as we, yet without sin. What was the enemy trying to do? Everything that the enemy tempted Christ with in the desert was what God, what was his anyway, or would be his. But Satan wanted him to do what he did tempt Adam and Eve to do. He tempted Adam and Eve successfully. Um, that was to take what was his uh, now, a shortcut, uh, not wait for God's timing, not wait for God's plan, but do it his way. But our Lord's way was God the Father's way, blessed be God. And so he never bought in to the tricks of Satan. And so that's how he went through suffering and was tempted as we. He did it for our salvation through that wilderness, beloved. 
I'll continue now um, with the conversation of God. Um, let's see, conversation with God. Our existence can, in this way, surrender itself unconditionally into the hands of the third enemy, which is the pride of life. This is not merely a matter of um, ephemeral fantasies, the fanciful products of vanity or self-love. It is an all-embracing presumption. Let us not fool ourselves. This is the worst of all evils, the root of every conceivable deviation, pride. Since God is coming to us, we have to get ready for him to prepare ourselves. When Christmas arrives, our Lord should find us with everything in order and our soul fit to receive him, just as he ought to find us in our final encounter with him. We have to make what adjustment is required to correct the course of our lives and turn ourselves to God, who also comes to us. Man's whole existence is a constant preparing to see God, who draws ever closer. We have an appointment, but in Advent, the church helps us with this solemn consideration in mind to ask in a special way, Lord, make me know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Make me walk in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior. Let us ready ourselves for this encounter in the sacrament of penance. Just before Christmas in 1980, Pope St. John Paul II was with over 2,000 children in a Roman parish, and he began his catechesis with this dialogue, quote, How are you preparing for Christmas? By praying? And, and the, the children shout back, By praying! Very good, he says, by praying, the Pope says, but also by going to confession. You must go to confession so that you can go to communion later. Will you do that? And in an even louder voice, those thousands of children replied, we will. And John Paul II tells them, yes, you ought to go. Lowering his voice, he whispers, the Pope will also go to confession so as to receive the child Jesus worthily. End quote. We too will do the same in the weeks between now and Christmas with an ever greater love and deeper contrition, for we can always receive this sacrament of the divine mercy with better dispositions as a result of a deeper examination of souls. And dear ones, um, if you've not been to confession in 120 years or whatever the time has been, Don't let Satan keep you from confession. No matter if you've killed 10 people, if you've left your spouse, if you've abandoned the faith, if you have been filled with sloth and all the uh, serious sins, go, go, go to confession. There's nothing a priest hasn't heard, and our Lord is waiting for you in the confessional. The priest says, I absolve you, but it is Christ himself who forgives sins, God who forgives sins through the instrumentality of the priest. And when the priest says, I absolve you, it is Christ saying that to you through the priest. Go today, beloved. Don't let anything or anyone stop you. God bless you, dear ones.
The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have the whole half hour all to ourselves. Um, and I'm going to be taking your emails Um uh, we won't be able to take your calls live this week because these programs are brand new and fresh for you, but they were pre-recorded last week with all the emails that were sent in. Uh, but we'll continue taking emails, but we won't be able to take your live calls, dear ones. You can email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. And we have an email from Susie who writes, dear mother, <clears throat> I have definitely been to we baptisms that's uh, we the word we in quotes we baptisms because i remember at the time thinking that it was so beautiful and i was touched to hear that i, I don't uh, susie i don't know what a we baptism w e is so um, um so be it i'll continue with your email during that period i thought i was catholic i've come to the realization a few years ago by the grace of god that i had been living as a catholic in name only thinking i was a very spiritual person so dumb i've confessed all this thank god it's over now blessed be god uh susie <clears throat> susie writes but i am now concerned over the legitimacy of my children's baptisms their godparents were also catholics in name only 
And I know for a fact that they weren't even paying attention to the priest during the sacrament. I know this because the priest had asked for the godparent to place their hands on my baby during a blessing, and they did not. They did not follow nor respond in any way. Is that okay? I don't know what efficacy or lack of it that would have. Um, I don't think it would negate the baptism. Um, I I can't say that exactly. I don't know. Um, Also, I am a godmother to four children. One of them is big, and his parents have not gotten him to First Communion. I've been trying to lead this family by speaking to them and encouraging family rosary. I've sent them beads and Catholic books that I love. They've even said the rosary for this encouragement. I will be, will I be held accountable for my godson not receiving the sacraments? You know, Susie, um, I think uh, trying to, um, uh, let me see now, uh, one of his parents, so I'm guessing they were baptized because you're saying one of them is big and his parents have not gotten him to first communion. Um, I'm guessing he was baptized. And what you need to say to them is he's baptized Catholic, and if you're not taking him to church, then you're leading him to commit mortal sin. And um, uh, if you consider yourself Catholic and you're not going to church on Sunday, it's the same. In other words, um, uh, the family rosary is good. Uh, books that you love are good, but that you need to explain to them that if they want to go to heaven and they call themselves Catholic, they, there are certain things they absolutely must do. And one of them is go to church on Sundays uh, and be in a state of grace, which means they would need to go to confession first if they've committed any mortal sins. Um, and you need to tell them those things. You are accountable for telling them that. Um, and um, they have, uh, let's see now, um, I am also godmother to a set of twins, but I'm not active in their lives at all. This is a longer story of history of issues between his parents and the rest of the family. We do not speak. This is a separate topic, and it's too long to explain as to why. I pray for these twins, and they have received the sacraments, but I'm not in their lives at all. Will I be held accountable? Um, yes, since you're their God uh, parent, uh, you will be held accountable, not for the bad choices they make, but for continue continuing to be in their lives and as you are able. And so if they will not speak with you, um, it, you at least need to write or call them or write them a letter and say that um, I, I, I can't tell you how much I regret that we're not able to be in touch. I want you to know I pray for you every day and am here for you with anything you'll ever need. But if you're not going to be in touch with me, it's impossible for me to continue truly as a proper godparent. And you might want to get yourself another godparent who you can be in touch with. It's quite, it's quite important. So I would have those communications with them. Um, and um, ask them uh, f- for their apologies, for anything, f- for any failure you've uh, uh, been toward them um, or toward God yourself, um, and say that you'd like to restore that. But obviously, um, if you're not in touch, you cannot be a godmother, godparent to them, and suggest to them that you'll continue to pray, but they may want to assign another godparent to them. 
We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously. Dear Mother, what should I do about entering churches where there is communion in the hand? I do not want to step on Jesus. Also, should I urge local priests to remind the people about mortal sin and receiving only in a state of grace? Well, on the second matter, should you urge local priests to remind the people about mortal sin and receiving in a state of grace? Um... I would only do that if you know that there are certain people who are receiving uh, the Holy Eucharist and they're not in a state of grace or they're living together in mortal sin. Then I would go to the priest and say, Dear Father, I know there are people in the parish who are living uh, outside of marriage in in intimacy and you know, uh, committing mortal sin and all of that, and yet they're receiving the Eucharist. Um, I'm not here to deal with each one, but I'm wondering if if you might uh, at least um, give a message that um, they should not um, uh, be uh, receiving communion if they're not in a state of grace. Um, so, but if there weren't an issue with that in, in the church, I wouldn't ask the priest to do that. That's his job. And uh, we don't need to be telling him how to do his job. But if it is, um, if it's uh, Christmas, for example, where you have lots of visitors and many of them are not Catholic, and the priest is not used to uh, urging people uh, to receive only in a state of grace, then I would tell him in advance, dear father, my uh, family's coming and I know other families are coming who are not Catholics and would not know to not receive the Eucharist. Could you make that announcement at each Christmas Mass that those who are not Catholic and in a state of grace should not come to receive the Holy Eucharist, but can receive our Lord by this prayer in their heart? I think that would be important to do. Um, what do you do about entering churches where there is communion in the hand because you want, don't want to step on our Lord? Um, if at all possible, find a Latin parish where they'll only serve on the tongue. That's... Uh, that's the thing to do. Even if you have to drive a couple of hours, uh, you will receive, and so will everybody receive on the tongue. Short of that, uh, there's no other way to receive communion um, if you go to a church that will only serve communion in the hand. Um, when I do that, I'm also careful if I have to do that, even though I go to a Novus Ordo church who does um, distribute communion on the tongue, um, in a bit of a difficult scenario, but they do, I still am looking down at the carpet to see if I see uh, particles of the host from others. So uh, that's what I can suggest you do as well. We have an email from Aaron who says, I'm Catholic and my husband is not. We practice NFP, natural family planning. We are struggling to discern if any type of marital embrace is acceptable during fertile times that we have discerned to abstain and postpone pregnancy. Several priests have told me that genital contact is acceptable. I would appreciate clarity on the matter. God bless Aaron. I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. The idea is to totally refrain um, from marital relations. And... Um, 
God did not make man and woman for genital contact. He made them for um, life-giving love, not to stop at any point, not to, you know, as he, uh, not to have a man waste his seed. None of that. None of that. People were put to death in the Old Testament for that. Absolutely not. You either refrain during uh, the week that you're most fertile, um, uh and you, you sacrifice, and you read together, and you pray the rosary together, uh, and um, uh, do holy sacrificial things during that week together. Read from the scriptures. Truly give your lives to God. Stay away from fleshly appetites. Distract yourself by drawing near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's no grace that God will not give you when you seek to live and honor him. Um, general contact is not acceptable. It will be sinful. Um, uh, you're either, you either engage in life-giving love, which is fully open to life, or you don't at all. It's, it's, it, there's nothing partial. God would never have created our organs for that sort of temptation and exercise. So absolutely not. The priest may disagree with me. God has said um, uh, we are to obey the body he gave us. And um, uh, if we're going to abstain from marital relations, then we simply abstain, period. Um, We have an email from Kelly. Hello, Mother Miriam. Thank you for your radio show. I appreciate all of your words of wisdom and your witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a question regarding making choices in life that might alleviate suffering and the consequences of that spiritually. For seven years, I was in an invalid marriage with a man who was abusive to me and to our girls. We divorced last year after many years of trying to reconcile and trying to get help and even trying for a convalidation. Our daughters are ages 8 and 11. We live in Los Angeles where my ex-husband, now you're calling him your ex-husband through a divorce. I don't know the circumstances of your marriage, but I think the church would need to decide if it was invalid or not. If it was a marriage, um, I think the church needs to decide the consequences of that. And if you are true, if the marriage truly never took place, because if there's any question on that end, um, then he's not your ex-husband. If there's any question about that, if you were married in the Catholic Church, um, if you were married, uh, you were baptized, uh, or one was Protestant, or both you were Protestant, but you had been baptized, even though you hadn't been married in the Catholic Church, you need to take it to um, your your um, uh, diocese. It needs to go through the, through the marriage tribunal for them to confirm it was invalid. Um, until that's confirmed, he's not your ex-husband. Once it's confirmed, he is. And so you say, our daughters are ages 8 and 11. We live in Los Angeles, where my ex-husband is from, and I'd like to move back to the East Coast of the U.S. I believe Los Angeles is a horrible place to raise children, and I think living near my family, near a traditional Catholic church, surrounded by nature, in a town that has more wholesome values than Los Angeles would be good for my girls. I absolutely agree. My question is regarding suffering. Now, you could move to the East Coast 
because you and your husband have separated, uh, whether or not the annulment is granted or whether or not you need annulment. You can do that anyway. You just need the church's uh, decree on that on paper to call him your ex-husband. Um, in any case, you can move to the East Coast. She says, my question is regarding sufferings. Uh, throughout my life, on many occasions, I've had the blessing to experience our Lord drawing me closer to him. Each time, it was through suffering. I am questioning if remaining in L.A., a great suffering would be more sanctifying to me and the girls than moving back east. You know what, beloved? Um, There is our final break, um, and we will be back right after the break. Don't go away. But um, you can send in your emails at motheratthestationofthecross.com, and we'll be back right after the break. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm a retired Los Angeles cop. I'm a Catholic lay evangelist. You probably hear me Monday through Friday at the Terry and Jesse show. My new show on spiritual warfare is called Jesus 911. Every Saturday at noon. That's a soul patrol Catholic program where three cops on fire with our Catholic faith. You can hear this program around the world on the iCatholic radio app. Jesus 911. Saturdays at noon here on the Station of the Cross Radio Catholic Network. God bless you. Keep the faith. The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. These groups are getting all of this money and doing things, I think, that are endangering our sovereignty and endangering our safety. Uh, what is it about the culture that, that needs to be fixed or purified? Well, I mean, it's pretty much everything, you know, when we come down to it. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are right in the middle of an email from Kelly, who has been telling us that she was in an, in, an, in an invalid marriage with a man who was abusive to her and their girls. 
They divorced last year after trying many years of reconciliation. Um, Their daughters are 8 and 11. She says, we live in Los Angeles where my ex-husband is from, and I would like to move back to the east coast of the United States. I believe Los Angeles is a horrible place to raise children, and I think living near my family, near a traditional Catholic church, surrounded by nature in a town that has more wholesome values than Los Angeles would be good for my girls. I absolutely agree with you. I encourage Kelly to make sure through her diocese that she is free uh, from that, what she calls an invalid marriage, because I don't know the circumstances. They may have been Protestants. They may have been baptized. It may not be invalid, but they need to confirm that with the church before she can call um, him her ex-husband. But in any case, Kelly, you can certainly move to the East Coast. And then Kelly says, my question is regarding suffering. Throughout my life, on many occasions, I have had the blessing to experience our Lord drawing me closer to him. Each time it was through suffering. I am questioning if remaining in Los Angeles, which is a great suffering, would be more sanctifying to me and the girls than moving back east, a perceived respite from the suffering of Los Angeles and my ex-husband. I do not want to do anything that would draw me away from the Lord, and if it is through suffering that I am drawn closer to him, then why should I yearn for anything but suffering for me and my girls? Thank you in advance for your thoughts and guidance. Mary, love you. God bless Kelly. Kelly, dearest one, I, I utterly appreciate your heart. And I know our Lord will as well um, <clears throat> for wanting to draw close to him, uh, even through suffering. But absolutely not. God would not have us impose suffering upon ourselves. The world and life uh, brings us enough suffering. And if we don't have um, circumstances in which we suffer, God's arm is not short. He could bring us suffering of any kind at any time, no matter where we live. You don't impose suffering for you and for your girls. They have a right to grow up in a beautiful traditional Catholic church and um, uh, a good atmosphere and family and all of that. They really have a right to that. Um, uh, And so take them out there if you can. Start a new life. Find a beautiful Catholic church and raise your daughters to be saints. And if God wants to inflict suffering on you in any way, he'll find you. Don't worry about that. But don't do it yourself, sweetheart. So I urge you to go back east with your family. We have an email from Jill who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. My name is Jill, and I am from Southern California. I went to confession yesterday. The penance I received was to pray and to meditate on Psalm 44. I even asked the priest twice about which psalm to pray. He said Psalm 44. Could you help me understand Psalm 44? Excuse me one moment. When I go uh, on an internet search, I get a lot of Protestant commentary, or they just rewrite the psalm in more modern English. Thank you, Jill. Well, Jill, sweetheart, uh, if you have the Navarre Bible, it's the Revised Standard Version of the Catholic Bible. It's excellent, and they do have beautiful commentary from the Church Fathers. Uh, There are other commentaries. The one I recommend highly is by Bernard Orchard, uh, simply called a Catholic commentary, but it's about $40, and it's out of print. It's a commentary on the entire Bible. We have it, and I recommend it. However, if you just go, I'm looking up right now as we're on the line, 
um, to Psalm 44 um, uh, from Bible Gateway. It's a wonderful website, BibleGateway.com, and you can bring up on the right, they have a a pull-down list of any version Bible you want, and I put in the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition every time. And then when you type in uh, whatever you wish, Psalm 44, or a word, or a phrase, or anything, it will bring up that version of the Bible, and you'll know that it's absolutely Catholic. And so if you do that, and you read Psalm 44, sweetheart, I don't think you need a commentary at all. The priest told you to meditate on it. That's all you need to do. The word meditate comes from the same word that it's used of a cow chewing its cud, because it chews one thing, it keeps it for hours and hours and chews it over and over and over again. That's where we get the word meditate. And that's the idea of meditating on the word of God. We read it and we stop and we chew on it. We think about it. We try to envision the circumstances. We meditate on the word and it makes its application to our life. So as I start reading Psalm 44, quote, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what deeds thou didst perform in their days, in the days of old. Thou with thy own hand didst drive out the nations, but them thou didst plant. Thou didst afflict the peoples, but them thou didst set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm give them victory. But thy right hand and thy arm are the light of thy countenance, and the light of thy countenance, for thou didst delight in them. Thou art my king and my God." Um, and so forth. So that's the beginning to say that what God has done for the nations throughout history, as he's won victory for them, so will he for us because we're his people. But let us not think that we are the ones who won victory. It's always God. It's always God. And as you go down uh, through the psalm, it talks about that um, how we have not forgotten him. We had forgotten the name of our God. Um, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread forth our hands to a strange God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Rouse thyself. Why do you sleep? Awake, do not cast us off forever. We plead to God. So um, it's a it's a beautiful meditation on our relationship with God, whom he protects but whom he casts off for their sins and yet will not refuse to receive back the penitent heart. You, I haven't read a commentary, but just reading down that psalm, uh, you get the message and you apply it to your heart, dear one. Excuse me. Um, and so um, that's what it is to meditate. Um, so read Psalm 44. Read it 50 times. Read it every single day. Uh, for a month, and uh, and pray to the Holy Spirit that he will enlighten you, because it's our Lord who wrote that word, and he can enlighten your heart to fill it with his word and with his meaning so that he really speaks to you, so to speak, through that psalm, Jill. Learn to meditate on the word of God. You can pick up a book called Lexio Divina, meaning sacred reading, and it will tell you, it will teach you how, or look up online, um, Lexio Divina, uh, and the instruction for Lexio Divina, and it will help you with the tools of meditating on God's word. Okay. 
Let me see now. Uh, We have an email from Jim who writes, Hi, Mother. I stumbled across your show on YouTube. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm 30 and currently dating a girl I feel I will ask to marry me. However, I'm worried about lust because of many times when we kiss... I might be too handsy where I put my hands, what I touch, etc. I guess I'm wondering if you have any tips concerning the faith to help me in my relationship. I do, Jim. And continue to be one of love and not one of lust. Yes, heaven is both of our goals. And I actually met her at church. She likes to pray with me. And I am so encouraged. There's only one advice I have for you, Jim, and no secondary advices. Never kiss that girl again. Never put your hands on her, not even to hold her around the shoulder. Never put your hands on that girl again until the day you ask her to marry you. And then you can kiss her if you've made that commitment. But you can do nothing more than kiss her lightly so that none of you are stirred to sin. Tell her that you really care for her. Don't tell her you love her until you're ready to propose. But tell her that out of respect for her, because she's so special, you never want to put your hands on her again until the day, if God has it, that you're a man and wife. God bless you all, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.